Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Hi there, everyone. My name's Matthew. For those who don't know, spelled with one T, so just a little bit weird. Um, but today I'll be sharing the verse with you. Um, I'm currently in year 12 and one of the youths here at RBC. Um, for those that want to sh- read along in the Bible, um, the verse is Mark 1, 21 to 39, um, but it should be on the screen as well for you to follow along. They went to Capernaum, and when, Sab- when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What have you, sorry, um, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, "What is this? A new teaching, and with authority?" He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in a bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, The people brought Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus helped, healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Thanks, Matt. Really well read and we really appreciate it. So, good morning. 2022, it's been a good year for cinema, hasn't it? Out of the ashes of the pandemic, where we could only watch stuff on Disney Plus or Netflix or whatever your streaming service is, there have been some great movies which have really helped the cinema industry roar back to life. Top Gun. Any Top Gun fans enjoyed watching Tom Cruise? Yeah. He's starting to sag here, though. The beach scene didn't quite hit as well this time round, I think. Elvis was great. Did anyone see Elvis? Yeah, I come from, uh, or I've married into a family of Elvis fans, and so um, it's been a worship year this year. The movie I enjoyed most was called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. 
And to me, it stood out because the first 20 minutes are a masterclass in how to set up a story. In it, we meet our main character, Evelyn, that's her there, and we're violently introduced into what it's like to live in her head, the demands and distractions that fill her mind. You see, as an immigrant, she's trying to run a business to set up her family for success into the future, all while keeping her customers happy, while also caring for her elderly father who disapproves of her and the way she's chosen to live her life and move away, while also trying to improve her strange relationship with her daughter who she feels is drifting away from her while also trying to meet the needs of her husband, who she doesn't know is about to serve her with papers for divorce in the hope of fixing their marriage. All while getting audited by the tax office. And so after all of this, the the just, like, sheer violence of having to deal with this and and the the sounds that are going on everywhere and all the distractions and the camera turning every which way, my head was spinning. And after the first 20 minutes, Mick turned to me and said, I feel very anxious and I think I'm going to be sick. (laughs) And of course, me being the movie analyst genius I am, said back, I think that's the point. See, the movie accurately captures how dizzying it is to live as people in our day and age. The demands and distractions on our life are immense. I lead our year 10 to 12 boys at youth, and I know what the demands are on their life. They include managing their social life, getting to their sport, studying for exams, handing in assignment, the odd girlfriend here and there as well. And for our young adults, small group, who are just a little bit older in that uni age, they have all of this, plus trying to work out what they're going to do with their life. Because, of course, that's where you work it out, at uni. For you, some of this might resonate, but there's probably a few extras as well. See, if you've got kids, you've got to to feed, clothe, and provide for them and your family. You might have to clean the house, because... I don't know, apparently houses are best when they're clean. Maybe you're working to get a promotion or find a new and more fulfilling job, taking kids to sport, keeping an eye on your super, looking after grandkids, keeping your marriage going and growing. The list goes on and on. And on top of this, the distractions to our lives are smarter and louder than ever before. See, the internet is the lolly shop of our day and age. And ever since the invention of smartphones, you can get, in the words of comedian Bo Burnham, a little bit of everything all of the time. But just like the lolly shop, its bright colours and appealing appearances fall short at providing us with nutrition and substance to grow. And often, it just leaves us feeling sick. You see, how often do we read the news and feel more anxious than we did before? How often do we scroll Instagram and feel more envious than we were before? How often do we sit in front of Netflix and binge incessantly and feel more lazy and sluggish than we did before? If that doesn't land with you, that's a look into my life. Our demands and distractions are not just things we do, though. They do something to us. 
They make us anxious, on edge, outraged, impatient, apathetic, depressed, and lonely. And in the middle of our demands and distractions, we begin to feel what Evelyn felt in those first 20 minutes of the movie, pulled in so many directions that we can't be available, let alone healthy, for the things that matter most to us. Our family, our community, our God. We are emotionally unhealthy and spiritually asleep. The story of Jesus at the home of Mary and Martha in Luke 10 really sticks out to me as a great illustration of this. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Luke 10 quickly. We're going to read uh, from verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. That's lovely. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Big older sibling vibes. I definitely don't relate with that at all. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So as we continue in our year-long focus of reawakening, it's worth asking as followers of Jesus, how do we reawaken to true and emotionally healthy spirituality? Or more simply, how do we choose what is better to sit at the feet of our Lord? Thanks again to Matt for reading to us from Mark 1, and it's a common account uh, from the Gospel authors of what a day in the life of Jesus' ministry might have looked like. And it feels like a busy schedule for Jesus. He's going here and there, he's preaching, he's healing the sick, he's telling demons not to speak, doesn't sound like your average day, but there's a lot going on, and there seem to be like demands, many demands and distractions on Jesus. But then, following a late night of Jesus healing and teaching, Mark breaks the sequence of his text, and we read this from verse 35. If you go to Mark 1 again. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. For Jesus, the retreat to places where he could be alone was, with his father was essential. The idea of a solitary place uh, comes up more than once in the Gospels. Again, if you jump Sorry, I'm making you jump around. You go to Luke 5 from verse 15. It says, Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. In verse 16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
That Greek word for lonely places in that text is the same one used for solitary place in in the text before. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is how they describe the place where Jesus goes to be alone, to pray and to be empowered to, in Jesus' words, do what he saw the Father doing. And so over the course of church history, followers of Jesus have sought to replicate this rhythm in Jesus' life, to leave the crowds, to leave the noise of their lives, and to be alone with God. And so it was out of this desire that the spiritual practice of silence and solitude developed. Now that name is not chapter and verse, it is a little bit, but not, it's not like, you know, Luke 7, silence and solitude. But sometimes it's called just solitude, sometimes it's called just silence. You may have also heard a less formal name of quiet time in your experience. And I know for some of you, this idea or this practice may be familiar. This may be part of your rhythm of of life of following Jesus. But for many of us, if you're in my generation or Gen Y, this is probably not something that is part of your rhythm. Indeed, this practice may even be foreign to you. So even if this is your first time or your 500th time hearing about this practice, I think it is crucial for us as a community to reawaken to this together so we can encourage one another to grow together into a community of mature believers. Sound good? Wonderful. You better have you said no. Now, you might be able to guess the two main components that make up silence and solitude. No points for that. But I do want to take some time just ironing out what the bits and pieces involve. Because I think in doing so, we actually get to the heart of the practice and the why behind the practice. So, silence. It sounds simple, right? But finding silence is a challenge in our everyday environment. And not only is it hard to find, but we often run from silence too. We're deeply uncomfortable with it. I remember seeing one of the newer Star Wars movies a few years ago at a midnight screening, because I'm a nerd. And midway through, there's a scene where all the noise cuts out. There's action happening on the screen, but there's, it all happens in complete silence, and it goes for about 10 seconds. And it was the best part of the movie, which tells you a lot about how Star Wars is these days. However, in the following weeks, it came to light that this scene in particular was causing real confusion amongst cinema patrons. And they were, in fact, complaining to staff that at one point in the movie that all the noise cuts out and there must be something wrong with the cinema sound system. And the issue escalated to a point where cinemas were forced to put up these stupid signs saying, no, 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 the silence is okay, it's used for creative effect. Now, for an art form that began its days in silent films, This is astounding to me, that people had an issue with a mere 10 seconds of silence. But doesn't this illustrate just how uncomfortable we've become with silence in our everyday life? We love background noise, whether it's the TV or the radio or a podcast or music or even just some idle noise like the washing machine. 
we fill all the quiet places of our lives with noise. But then think about those rare occasions where you do find a quiet place in your life. What happens then? See, I know for me, the external quiet is the easy part. I actually like a bit of quiet around the house. But the hard part is getting my own internal monologue to quiet down. See, we fi- when we finally get moments out of silence, it seems that that's the cue for our brains to kick into eighth gear, giving us tasks to do, lists to create, images to desire, emotions to process, and phrases we should have said to that person who annoyed us at work. In true silence, though, with God, we should actually seek to quiet all of ourselves, the outside noise and the inside noise. We get away from the noise and distractions that keep God out of our mind, and then we hand over to God the things of our mind. We are freed of trying to fix everything ourselves so we can be truly present with him. Now, the second part, solitude, is also seemingly straightforward. But I just want to clarify a couple of things here too, because we've just had two years of being told to isolate, right? Be alone, stay away from people. But solitude is not the same as that. Because when I say solitude, it's more the action of us seeking to be alone with God. It's more like a date night than it is quarantine. Now, I've not been married for more than a year, so if this is naive, that's cool, just ignore me. But the date nights that Mick and I have usually operate like this. We set a time, we set a date, we set a place. We don't bring our work, we don't bring our agenda or our wish list. Instead, we focus on being in and enjoying each other's presence. That's what we mean by solitude. It's a time where you don't bring to God your agenda or your wish list. And those things may come up. We'll talk about that in just a second. But instead, you just seek to sit in the space and let God be God and let you be you. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's great. Be quiet, be alone. What's the point? Well, Ruth Haley Barton, who's an author and, and spiritual director, has written a whole book on this practice, and she covers the how and why, but also the what of silence and solitude, what it actually achieves. So I just want to cover a couple of those things as well. In silence and solitude, we begin to notice tiredness and fatigue. We get to let go of our need to control all the details of our life. We recognize how much we need God. We can bring our pain to God and grieve with him, and we are equipped and empowered to go. Whether it's to lead or to do another day of raising your family or to live out your faith at school. But this practice will also challenge us. It will confront our sin or even challenge us with how little we actually want to be with God or how much he feels like a stranger when we get there. Now, all these things are not a byproduct of the practice itself. They're a byproduct of being in the presence of God. 
We see all throughout Scripture that people's needs, their longings, their pains, their insecurities, they all bubble to the surface in the presence of God. Whether it's Isaiah crying, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Or David dancing before the Lord with all his might. Or Elijah crying, I have been zealous for you, but look what has happened to me. The people who encountered Jesus had a similar experience as well. Be it son of David, have mercy on me. Or Hosanna, son, save us from the people at the gates of Jerusalem. To the tears of a prostitute who is cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears. Or quite simply, a woman setting aside her demands and distractions to sit down and just listen to her Lord. In the words, the silence and solitude is, quite simply, the practice of being in God's presence. Because in the words of Jesus, only one thing is necessary. To be with God, to be formed by his presence. That is why we practice silence and solitude. It's for this reason that I think many teachers of Jesus' way regard silence and solitude as the most, impractice, the most important practice for Jesus' followers. Henry Nouwen, who was a Catholic priest um, and spiritual teacher, said, We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and listen to Him. More recently, author and pastor Rich Velotis says, we need regular times of silent prayer because it helps us to move beyond relating to God in transactional, utilitarian ways. Now, I want to be careful here because this is where I lose you. Because this is where you start thinking, oh, well, that's cool. This is only for those super spiritual people. The people that got that discipleship add-on when they joined. It's not for the mums and dads raising teenagers or kids or toddlers, God bless you. Or it's not for you if you're retired and too set in your ways to do something new. Or it's not for you if you're just in high school. This is just for my parents. So let me tell you how Science and Solitude has helped a guy in his early 20s who's an engineer grow in his depth and relationship with Jesus. You see, late last moment I had, late last moment, late last year I had a moment where I noticed that the demands and distractions of my previous two years have done something to me. See, my demands included finishing uni, navigating COVID, getting a job, starting my career, getting engaged, planning a wedding, getting married, finding a house, and learning how to be a husband, which I haven't finished yet. But in all this, God showed me that the centre of my life had shifted. It wasn't around Him, it was around something else. Be it my job or my marriage my bills or my hobbies and what I did with my time alone. The centre of my life was around many things, but it was not around God. 
And the scary part is you wouldn't know it from the outside. So God graciously showed me this, but then he also graciously led me to doing some reading and learning about what it means to do that whole life apprenticeship to Jesus. And in it, I picked up this idea of solitude and silence from a few uh, books and some podcasts and some sermons. And it sounded like something I could manage. Be quiet, be alone. It's not that hard. What I did not realize is that in this practice of quieting myself and being alone with God, I would discover new growth and depth in my relationship with Jesus. A hunger to know and be with God more than ever. And this has been a great encouragement to me. But it hasn't fixed everything. In fact, in these times of silence and solitude, I have noticed parts of my life which are not under apprenticeship to Jesus. Sins I have not dealt with. Things that I... uh, Sins that people do to me that I hold back and fail to forgive. Patterns of behaviour and habits that do not embody the person Jesus is making me to be. And so I certainly haven't arrived anywhere. And I don't know, I actually don't know if I'm that different externally. You can ask my wife about what she thinks about that. But Janine Code, is Janine here? Where are you, Janine? Janine? Hello, Janine. Janine, I got, I got to have a call with Janine this week, and she said something great to me. She said, this is a journey. This is a journey. And the end is ultimately Jesus. When we reach completion, complete union with him. This is a journey. And so today, I just want you to join me at the very start of it. Let me ask you this. What is it you came here for today? What were you looking for this morning? Do you need a rest? Time to just be and not do? If so, let me encourage you to practice silence and solitude. Are you grieving? Do you need to air something out with God? Bring him your grief and pain. If so, practice silence and solitude. Do you need to know where to go, how to serve God with your hands and feet, how to get engaged in this community of Jesus believers? If so, practice silence and solitude. Or do you simply ache to know God's presence daily, to sit at his feet, to enjoy the gaze and attention of our Saviour? If so, then practice silence and solitude. So I want to end today by inviting you to take this practice up. And so I want to give you a couple of practical things that have helped me in my kind of eight to nine months of trying to practice this myself. So here are three things that I've learnt that I think are crucial for anyone who wants to take up this practice for themselves. Number one, rhythm and routine. So come up with a rhythm and routine that works for you, something that will help you to practice silence and solitude. Pick a time of day or or time of week that you want to carve out just to be alone and be with God. Come up with a plan, but more importantly, execute that plan. 
pick a spot where you're going to do it and set aside, set, it, set that place aside for silence and solitude. Don't make it the place where you do work from home or where you, you know, do a bunch of other more important things. Set it aside just for this thing. Pete Gregg, who runs 24-7 Prayer, uh, has a really helpful idea around this. He calls this a thin space. It's a place that we nominate where it feels like the space between us and God is really, really close. But it's important for you to know that none of this is for God. This is like, this is not a recipe, right? This is not like, how do I conjure up God in my home, right? This is entirely for you, and it's helping you to set apart this time and place. So for me, my rhythm is 6.30 a.m. in the morning, the alarm goes off, and some point within the next 15 to 20 minutes, hopefully, I will stumble out of bed and I will make my way to the sacred coffee machine where I make a coffee. And I need this because it's going to keep me awake. So I quickly get a few good sips in to make sure I don't fall asleep, and then I go and sit in a beanbag. And this beanbag is beside a window in my living room, I light a candle, and I put my Bible in my lap, but I don't open it. I take a few deep breaths, and I just say the words of John 15 to myself, abide in me, and I will abide in you. Then I wait in the quiet. Now, for you, mornings may be terrible. That's not going to work for everyone. And so this could be something you do in the evening before bed or during the kids' nap time, if that is possible. I don't know. If not, just write me off again. Or perhaps it's while watching a sunset or while taking a stroll on the beach. The important thing is just start where you're at. Start doing two minutes or five minutes. Don't try and do an hour on your first go. It just won't work. But don't stay where you're at either. Seek to grow and seek to develop in this. Which brings me to my next point, practice. This is a spiritual practice, often spiritual discipline, but I really like this language of practice. And as with any practice, you grow in this over a long period of time, the more you do it. See, Dallas Willard uh, is a great um, teacher on spiritual practices and spiritual formation. And he says, disciplines or practices are activities that are in our power that enable us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Now, as I said, I've got the year 10 to 12 boys for youth, and so pretty much all of them are doing exams at some point during this year. If they were to go into an exam tomorrow, they're good, but they're not that good. They would all struggle with it. But what they are doing now in the months and weeks leading up to their exams is practicing. They're getting questions in under their belt, they're familiarizing themselves with the content, and they're doing the simple things over and over again so they can do it at the point where it matters most. That is what practice is. Now, I'm going to be honest, I've been doing this for nine months. Some weeks this happens five to six times a week. Sometimes it doesn't happen. And sometimes it feels like I break through and I hear God really clearly and I feel really motivated and I'm going to go in strong into my day. And sometimes I just feel like I'm sitting there by myself. 
Sometimes I spend so much time having to fight off my own thoughts that it didn't really feel like I had any good time with God. All of this is okay. This process is not easy. It is not a one-click fix. There's no quick way to be good at this. In fact, being good at this is kind of not really the point. The point is being with God. And so just like being in a relationship, this is something we grow in as we practice and develop. Sometimes God will speak dramatically. Sometimes he won't. Other times, our times of silence and solitude are just great times of looking towards God and knowing that he is looking back. All of this is part of it, but just remember what Jesus' words to to Martha were. Only one thing matters, to be with God. Finally, the most important thing we need is grace in this practice. So part of this practice is learning that we need to lean on God in doing this practice. We can't fend off all of our thoughts on our own. We won't be able to will ourselves out of bed every morning. We won't be able to do this all the time, depending on your um, age and stage of life. This is going to be really difficult. And so this is where we need God's Spirit working grace in us. In the same way, if you, want to gr- if you already do this practice and you're, you grow in this practice, um, I think it goes without saying this, like, doesn't make you better than everyone else either. Like, great job, well done, keep going. But this would be a great challenge to encourage others in our church to grow in this practice together in grace. We don't want a community where we're competing with each other and comparing scores. Like, ooh, you only did, like, 20 minutes of silence and solitude this week. I did two hours. Like, I'm a much better Christian than you. See, it's only by God's grace we even have the desire to do this in the first place. But grace works in our desire to know God. And as long as we keep this before us, we will remain and thrive in his presence. Dallas Willard, again on grace, says, To grow in grace means to utilize more and more grace to live by until everything we do is assisted by grace. I think that's what Paul meant when he said, We live by grace alone. We are empowered by God's Spirit and His grace at work in us. Practice silence and solitude. Practice it. Find the quiet place alone with God and stay there. Do this together as well. See, John Mark Comer, when in his teaching on silence and solitude to his church, he said, we practice this alone, but we do it together. Get a friend or two or your connect group and your small group. Sit together and talk about this practice. Encourage each other. If you're meeting with your connect group or small group this week, why not have a discussion around this? If you're a Connect Group leader, I have a bunch of resources I would love to give you as well. Um, And I'll have a few QR codes on the screen that will take you to some helpful places as well. The other person is Janine. Can you wave again, Janine? She's out the back. She's shy waving. Um, I have information and a little bit of experience. Janine has wisdom. Right? And so Janine uh, has been on a much longer journey of silence and solitude. And I was really encouraged talking to her about this uh, this week. 
But if you want to talk to someone and, and um, get some help or some great ways to get started or some challenges for yourself, I really, really recommend Janine. Um, I think she'd be a great person to talk to. Sorry, Janine. So regardless of where you are, I want to invite you to go on this journey of silence and solitude for yourself. Let's remember Jesus' words to Martha this week. Few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. Will you stand and, and pray with me? As we close our time, um, Mitch is going to come out and lead us through our last set of songs. There's a poem he's just going to read, and I think he's going to invite us just to stand in some silence, um, as we do as well. And so... Um, We'll, we'll close out with some songs as well, but why don't we just close our eyes and just pray together. Father, you are always with us. Forgive us of the times when we forget that. Father, you always seek us. Forgive us of the times where we don't seek you. Father, you want to grow us like your child. You long for us to grow into mature followers of Christ. And so, God, I pray that now you will birth desire in people, that they will have a desire to grow, to know, and to practice together. Be with us in the quiet spaces of our life. Help us know that in those places where we do accidentally find ourselves in times of quiet, to resist that temptation, to turn on some noise. Instead, draw us to you. Move in us. Speak to us. And give us ears to listen to what you are doing. May your spirit be at working in our hearts, transforming us. And may these words stay with us this week. Few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Help us to choose what is better. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.